0: I'm Gabby. Welcome to another episode of the Happier Life Project, brought to you by free mental health and wellness app, My Possible Self, in partnership with the Priory Healthcare. A toxic parent, in the most simplest of breakdowns, is a parent that puts their needs before their child's. Being emotionally let down by our parents or caregivers whilst growing up can cause a conflict of feelings we might battle with for the rest of our lives. Growing up in an unhealthy or toxic family can contribute to a number of emotional, interpersonal and mental health challenges. For example, being controlled or manipulated could affect your ability to make your own decisions. Or perhaps you can't communicate your feelings and emotions well, because you were taught not to show them as a child. The spectrum is so wide on this, on one hand, sometimes the neglect or harmful narratives we are taught can be so subtle, we don't realise the damage until later in life. And on the other hand, the abuse can be much more obvious and we carry those demons with us for a long, long time. Today's guest is one of the UK's most influential mental health advocates and he's here to help us break this down further and start the process of moving on. Josh Connolly regularly speaks on BBC, ITV and Channel 5 News. He's also spoken in the House of Commons and even advised the script writing team on Hollyoaks. And he's an expert in tapping into our inner strength and building resilience. So, ready to learn about healing our inner child and ready to find a healthier, happier you? Let's get started. Resilience coach, keynote speaker, mental health ambassador and influencer, breathwork leader, fellow podcaster... Josh Connolly welcome to the Happier Life Project.
1: Thank you uh yeah good to be here looking forward to the conversation.
0: It's a lot of titles.
1: <laughs> you know what where it, people ask me uh, what I do you know when you meet people I don't know wherever it may be and they often yeah. say yeah, what do you do then Josh and I think oh, I don't I don't know what yeah. answer to give you, because <laughs> there's so much stuff, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, I feel you there, I'm exactly the same. But today we are discussing moving on from a toxic upbringing and healing from the trauma that we've absorbed from our parents and caregivers as children, and then we're looking at the impact that's had on on who we have become. We wanted to record this episode with you, Josh, because you know a thing or two about this subject...
1: Yes, fortunately or unfortunately, however you look at it, yeah, I, I, I know quite a lot from personal experience and, you know, from, from the work that I do, you know, with a lot of people mm-hmm. that have experienced this as well. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I do, yeah.
0: Do you think these days there's been a bit of an awakening into, like, problems that we're experiencing as adults that we are starting to realise, ah, oh, this is things that I've picked up as a kid
1: uh, yes, I, like I do, I do think there has been um, a bit of a of a wake up. I think there's always been a knowing that that it's all linked, um, but I think we probably moved away from it for a while, and I I, I think it's coming back as something that people are starting to realise. I think that, look, I think there's still a long way to go. I think we went through a period when I look when I was raised when I was a child, I was we were only ever taught that if you were going to be you know abused or treated badly by anybody it was going to be a stranger we learned stranger danger was a big thing at school mm-hmm. and don't go near people that you don't know and stuff like that and mm-hmm. look i'm not saying there's no relevance to any of that but 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 it's it's clear that if you're if you're going to face a you know any kind of emotional abuse or struggle as a child then it's very likely to be from from somebody at least that you you should feel safe around you know someone that you're close to and that you know you know there's a very good chance that would be the case so I think we're coming back to understanding that but it's still complex you know.
0: Yeah you shared something on Instagram um, along those lines actually where it was like if you are subject to abuse as a kid statistics have shown more likely to be from a family member than from a stranger which is a terrifying thought.
1: It is a terrifying thought and it also creates a a huge problem right and the problem the problem that it creates is that what do we do for these children right because if you're being let down emotionally and I say let down right because I think there's a there's a Mm -hmm. there's a there's a spectrum here that maybe we'll get into right I think when we talk about abuse we often think about severe abuse but there's things and I'm not minimizing any other experiences but there's things like neglect and stuff like that right That, that, that we experience and If we're experiencing that at the hands of our parents, it's very difficult then for these children. And where do you go when you're a child, you still want to connect and attach to your parents normally. Um, So often these children grow up in silence, complete silence, you know?
0: Yeah, and like you said, it can can be subtle as well. So maybe both the parent and the child don't even know that it's harmful behaviour, should we say, that um, is affecting the kid. So, it's really hard to move forward when our caregivers are still in our lives and perhaps even drag us back to where we were when we were a kid. Like, I think of myself and like when I go home to visit family or, you know, for holidays, then I feel like I regress. And um, like when we're trying to break these thought patterns and, and this programming from when we were young, is it really difficult? Is it possible if you want to have a relationship with your caregivers?
1: This is the thing, right? And, and what we're moving into here and in what you've spoken about is the kind of nuanced part of the situation as well, right? Which is when we've got parents that for whatever reason may not have been able to show up for us in the way that we needed and perhaps still don't in our adulthood, but they're not particularly necessarily bad people or anything like that. But mm. They can't show up to the relationship. And so, look, I do think it's possible to, to move through it and find freedom. That, that, that looks... feels different for everybody i think it's important to say that but some of the work is around understanding that when we're children particularly for the first seven to nine years right our, our parents are whether we like it or not our gods right they are they are like the god figures to us they are who we look to for everything the first two years, we are completely, our survival is completely dependent upon them, right? Mm-hmm. More so than any other animal in the animal kingdom or most other animals in the animal kingdom. And so so like we're completely dependent upon them. What happens for a lot of us is that we struggle to break that or readjust that attachment in our adulthood. You know, mm-hmm. that can show up in subtle ways. You know, that can show up in buying and living in a certain house mm-hmm. because when you went to look for it you picked one with your mum or dad's judgment still in your mind and so you picked one that didn't suit you but you, that you knew that your mum or dad would approve for right that's a problem if you're in your 20s 30s or 40s and you're still making decisions based on parents um, opinions and, and and lots of people do that by the way based on a parents opinions that might not even be here anymore and so you mm. see how deep rooted that is and how difficult and tricky it can be to, to break that you know
0: Mm. Well just trying to kind of break it down a little bit and I think like the word abuse has stronger connotations doesn't it than like when we're looking at maybe toxic parenting So I did a bit of googling and I'd love to share this article with you or some of it because I found it really interesting This article said toxic parent is an umbrella term for parents who display some or all of the following characteristics Self-centered behaviors. Your parent or parents may be emotionally unavailable, narcissistic or perhaps uncaring when it comes to things that you need. It may feel like all situations return to the same question. What about me? then there's physical and verbal abuse abuse may not always be hitting yelling threats or sometimes obviously there as we discussed you may encounter more subtle abuse like name calling shifting of blame silent treatment or gaslighting controlling behaviors toxic parents may invade your privacy or not allow you to make your own decisions Or maybe they're over critical and controlling of your decisions even as an adult like you also just mentioned manipulative behaviors your parent may try to control you by using guilt or shame to play with your emotions toxic parents may even hold time money or other items as pawns in their manipulation game and lack of boundaries toxic parents tend to push and push and push to get their way uh, as you tire from their tactics, you may simply give in to ideas or situations out of exhaustion or frustration. So that article was taken from Healthline. Do you have anything to add to that? I could see you listening intently.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. And look, look what I would say is that some of the things that you've listed in there, like naturally almost contradict themselves as well. Right. So this is where we're like, into that space where Mm. you you know you talked about you talked about sort of not being there enough or being there too much and like all of those things that's where it can be complicated and I think what people really struggle with when they're from the outside looking in is that all of the things that you might struggle with if you do have a parent that would fit into that category that we're calling toxic parent is that all of the things that they display are all of the things that somebody who doesn't have a toxic parent might be able to resonate with to you know with to some degree and so Mm. so when you when you try and explain to people that don't understand my parent does this list of things somebody who's not experienced it may be able to go well I've experienced all of that too with my parent right and I you know we're still quite close but they're different right and a lot of it's to do with a, a feeling and I talk about you know that feeling that you get people will get when a text message comes through right And sometimes these text messages are like, they bamboozle you and they make you question your own reality and that kind of stuff. And I think if you're regularly experiencing that at the hands of a parent, then you're probably in that space that we're we're talking about, right?
0: Mm, Yeah, it's interesting that you should bring up text messages. It's funny how they can be so triggering, even just when the name flashes before you've even read what it might be. It can be such a a triggering thing, can't it? So, and this was from the same article, family, no matter what form it takes, has a significant impact on an individual's feelings of self-worth preservation and trust in others and generally worldview basically it's the foundation for how you see and interact with the people places and things around you so if that is a little bit skewed then as we're adulting what kind of challenges do we face
1: well look the first one is is chronic people pleasing right because for a lot of people their parent has probably been like uh, at least a version of this for most of their life right it may have progressively got worse throughout their life or you know may have kind of evened off at points but they would have experienced it when they were younger right when they were younger without realizing it their parent was probably the center of the house and so 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 you know for a child to survive in that environment as a child right for them to grow they will have learnt that I need to be useful and available um, and emotionally responsible for my mom or my my, my dad, right? So when your brain is developing like it does when you're a child and your personality and you're gaining a sense of who am I in this world and how do I experience this world, right? Rather than growing up and being nurtured uh, and supported into finding who you are and how you experience the world, you're actually being twisted and learning to manage, self-manage yourself, to be able to be what the people around you need. And so of course, that's kind of an emotional wound that you'll then take into mm. your other relationships, right? So if you if you start to build a relationship in your adulthood with somebody who isn't displaying these attributes, these toxic attributes that we're talking about, you're, you're, you're gonna show up with the same defense mechanisms, right? Mm. So, so, so you might show up to a relationship hiding who you really are, not, not conveying your needs, right? not bringing to the table what you need and want from that relationship because you've learned that you shouldn't do that and that relationships are about you abandoning yourself and adjusting yourself to fit into the relationship rather oh, than being Josh. able to share who you are and seeing if it takes who you are, you see?
0: Yeah, gosh, that is, I mean, yeah, that definitely resonates. Would you say then there's a lot of like high achievers that, it, it's that I guess that's seeking that like um respect or attention even from from their
1: parents one way if when you were a child your parent for whatever reason couldn't make you feel loved and make you feel and show you that your value exists inherently Mm -hmm. that your value exists because you exist Mm -hmm. if they didn't show you that when you was a child well then one reaction to that could be to desperately to to try and be a person of value, to try and make myself good enough, to highly achieve, to do mm. amazing at school, or to be caring and to be likable, right? And so, yeah, I think a lot of high achievers are driven, are driven by that need and that want to be of value, to be loved and to be needed, right? Because that wasn't uh, built in them when they were a child.
0: Mm. And it's making me um, think about something that you shared on your Instagram and speaking to quite a lot of people that these folks that have done well as adults in terms of they've got a stable job, they're financially okay. there's nothing on paper that's wrong, but they still don't feel right. There's this kind of maybe sadness or like a void, just something is stopping them from living a sort of contented, happy, happy life. And it sounds like we're kind of getting to the root of where, you know, the healing journey could begin potentially.
1: Exactly. Right. And so the healing journey, if that, if that is somebody's experience, their healing journey is not about self-improvement. It's not about <laughs> becoming yeah. better. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not about that. It's, it's not about that. It's about what is this void? and why is what i'm doing not meeting it right and and the void is actually more about learning to come back to myself understanding really fully who who i am and how i experience the world and then daring or risking to bring that to the table in my relationships friendships and connections right Mm -hmm. and then comes the risk of losing people in your life right or feelings of rejection because as i if, you know, if I if I've always done desperately what everybody else needs me to do and, and just been really, really likable and got everybody to like me, well actually when I when I bring my my real self, my more authentic self through, mm. the likelihood that some of these people who I've abandoned myself for, the likelihood of some of them not liking who I am, right? Mm-hmm. We can't be liked by everybody, is is quite high. Right. So mm-hmm. then you have to then start to experience some of the very abandonment you've spent your whole life trying to avoid in order to try and seek some of the connection mm. that, that, that's that been missing, right?
0: And that's really hard to do, right? Because anytime we ask our app users or put anything on Instagram in terms of what do you struggle with the most, it always, always is top of the list, um, self-worth, self-esteem. And so feeling okay with who you are, taking off some of the armor that you've, you don't even know that you've built and been wearing since you were a child like where where do you even start with that josh
1: i would start by looking at the armor that you've been wearing looking at it with compassion and love right and being able to say i'm so grateful that i was able to develop this armor to get me through to where i am today right so it's not about you know disowning or disliking what we've done to get to where we are it's about what, you know, being thankful and grateful for that, whatever that armor looks like for me, by the way, that armor for a long time looked like addiction, right? Mm-hmm. So being able to say to myself, I'm, you know, I'm I'm grateful that I had that because it got me to where I am, right? Looking at it with that compassion, that self-compassion then leads to more self-compassion because what I would say is that if they're following your social media, they've got the app on their phone, right? There's a huge part of them that recognizes their self-worth, right and that loves themselves otherwise Mm. they wouldn't have the app they wouldn't be following the social media right so so sometimes it's actually it's actually more about recognizing what self worth feels like what it feels like when I notice my worth when I download the app or I follow social media accounts of that ilk right there's a part of me noticing my worth but sometimes I don't know how to be with that part wow Josh
0: yeah it's like I'm talking to Buddha right now (laughs) You're
1: not, I can promise you you're not
0: (laughs) No, it's just so insightful Parents are people too I'm just, in order to kind of play a bit fair um, They might not realise how much they are effing up their kids They might suspect But they just might be too far down the road themselves And feel unable to change their behaviour So how do you feel about forgiveness?
1: Look i'm a parent myself right and mm-hmm. i think i probably get it right about 20 percent of the time right so i think I'm, i think i mess up a lot i think all of my children will have some work to do to get over the parts of themselves that i effed up as their parent right i actually think it's inevitable for any parent i often see things online that say um you know uh, raise your children in a childhood they won't need to heal from and I think it's a lovely ideal. It's a lovely mm. ideal. I think it's hard to reach. So I would say, and this is what I would like for my children, is that hopefully when they, when they start to try and heal and start to look at themselves, they'll feel like they can come to me for it and that we, we, can, we can do some of that stuff together. And to add to that, allow them and encourage my children to speak to other people too. You know, if you feel like you can't speak to me, you speak to your mum. And if you can't speak to your mum, then you speak to your siblings. And if you can't speak to them, then you speak to somebody outside of school, right? And I will do things that you need to speak to other people about. I will do things that confuse you, that Mm. upset you, right? And you won't want to come to me about them. So you go to somebody else, right? And what you might find in a more dysfunctional or toxic environment is parents saying, don't you ever air your dirty laundry outside of this house. Yeah don't yeah. you go don't you go talking about other people right what stays what happens in our family stays in our family and we sort it out together you see like that goes really closed then and tells my children whatever my behavior you better find a way to learn to deal with it right and i, I don't want that to be the case so forgiveness i believe in forgiveness um but i also believe in people's right to not have to find forgiveness now again i, I just need to stress as well people have different ideas of what forgiveness is. So mm-hmm. some people will say forgiveness is nothing to do with the individual, right? That's hurt you and all to do with how how you let go of it so that it doesn't have any power over you. I quite mm-hmm. like that idea, but look, I think it depends what what somebody's done to you. Yeah. And I've had people that have, have hurt me badly in my life and they have no impact on my life whatsoever today. And I don't think I've forgiven them. I found a way to live where they don't impact my life. Mm. So I don't know, maybe that is forgiveness.
0: What about the smear campaign that can happen within a family unit? Blame shifting, perhaps. Uh you, you've mentioned this before, and so that's why I, I bring it up. What are your thoughts there?
1: This is the thing, right? You say hey, give forgiveness. I think for a lot of people, they're dealing with a parent that's still here. And yeah. how often how often do you want them to keep forgiving? Right? Because mm if you even cut the parent out so you reach the stage where the only opportunity you have for any decent well-being is to have no interaction with them whatsoever the abuse yeah. doesn't stop They they will make it their business to try and get to the people that you care about the most to change their opinion of you right yeah and it'll be done yeah. in subtle ways subtle ways that make it look mm-hmm. like you're the crazy one yeah look maybe you cut them out you forgive and then the smear campaign starts and then sometimes my problem with forgiveness is that sometimes it's portrayed as this ultimate spiritual ideal online yeah Yeah. i think i think if you're not careful it can it can lead to suppression because you think uh, the right thing to do is to be a spiritual person is to forgive and so you push it down and -hmm. pretend it doesn't affect you anymore and i think it's more complex than that sometimes
0: some of the traits of toxic parents, and again, these kind of subtleties, we've talked about playing the victim, the sort of woe is me, you don't know what I, how I was brought up, putting you against your siblings or other family members, we've talked about that as well, reminding you constantly that they're the ones that raised you, they're the ones that have put a roof over your head. They're nice in front of everybody else, wearing a mask, basically, and um, showing up like nothing has happened after an unpleasant episode. It's really difficult to think about somebody that has, you know, potentially given you life being that nasty.
1: Yeah. And people then often take that, right, and say, and go down the route of saying it's not their fault. You know, uh, do not think this probably comes from how they were treated when they were younger. And Mm -hmm. the answer is, Ultimately, the answer is yes, probably. And that doesn't make it okay. Mm-hmm. Right? It doesn't make it okay. And it wouldn't make it okay in any other form of abuse. Mm. It's only when it's apparent that for some reason, we go down this path of sort of teaching and telling people that they almost have to kind of accept it. right? Mm-hmm. And again, one of the biggest problems is, is that they do become very good at being nice to everybody else right they they say things like like you mentioned right i was i raised you after everything i did for you all of those things and again if you come from a family where this isn't happening you've probably had i've said it to my kids right after what we just done yesterday and you're doing this today right Mm. i say that i'm a parent yeah of course i do it's different it's different and i think when you've experienced it you know it's different and again, what I think the people that experience this really struggle with is when they start to try and explain their experience, a lot of mm-hmm. the stuff just so teeters on this line of seeming quite like a normal parental mistake yeah. when actually it's it's nothing like that. It's not remotely like that. And I get a hell of a lot of heat online uh, from people <laughs> kicking back kicking back against that, you know, because of that, yeah.
0: Well, even like, you know the guilt and the shame that you must feel for feeling that way about your parents because especially when everything, all your friends around you might seemingly come from really happy families or even what we see on TV and then you're there thinking, mm, why don't I love my mum enough? Or you, do you know what I mean? And it's like, it's it's very confusing. And again, especially in the formative years to be so conflicted because it's like the person... We rely on, but then it's the person that's causing us pain.
1: Yeah, and we're taught that, right? We're taught from a very young age. Everyone's taught the same thing, which is that, basically, that you should love your mum and dad no matter what, right? And they're Mm. doing their best, and Mm. you know they'll mess up, and you should let. And so you're just left in this completely confusing place of thinking, you know, these people think they must be the problem. Of course they do, because society almost always tells them that. And again wouldn't tell them that in any other relationship you know mm. romantically you know mm. if it was a partner even a sibling even a sibling people find it easier to say we well, should cut them out but once it becomes a mom or a dad for some reason most people go back to sort of almost saying no abuse is is okay and then set about trying to justify the abuse rather mm. than saying you shouldn't put up with this.
0: Mm. I've got a couple of examples of when abuse is really subtle and how that can potentially affect you later on in life um, such as you've been severely neglected and so there's that feeling of well you, you just have really busy parents and then there's but as you get older you expect to be quite isolated that's just sort of what you know when more attention and focus has been given to a sibling so you grow up thinking I'm always going to be the sidekick I'm never going to be the star of my own movie Um, if you've been subjected to a lot of bitching moaning and venting it makes you want to retreat or disappear so you grow up unconfident and find it difficult to form friendships. so this is all like really really subtle stuff this is not so subtle, but perhaps if a parent is unfaithful, then you grow up with trust issues when it comes to romantic relationships and find it hard to let your guard down. Do you have anything to add in this respect, Josh?
1: Yeah. but uh, So, like, you know, even when you look at the last one that you you talked about, right, when someone's been unfaithful in a relationship or something like that, right, It, it feels more obvious. But sometimes the kids are the only ones that know, right? and they don't even know because mm-hmm. they, they they might not have even seen it but they can sense it yeah because you know I get parents say to me all the time this has happened and what should do you think I should tell the children and I'm like I always say well they already know they already know something so you better tell them something otherwise they'll come up with their own story right and and children are egocentric so so children will always make the story that they're not going to use an adult's rational brain where they go you know this is adults and life's complicated and messy and it's about them. They're gonna say, what's wrong with me? What you know, how do I change myself in order to be able to survive this situation? So that there's a lot of stuff that goes on below the surface that these parents are often very, very sensitive, right? The the yeah. toxic parents are often very, very sensitive, right? But yeah. but but what happens is, is their sensitivity is being used in a much different way. So they're very in tune with what's going on. There's a subtle look or a subtle change in the tone of their voice, right? All of which is used very, very well, very, very wisely to again, create the idea in the child or the adult child that they're the crazy one. Yeah, mm. because it's all done, it's all done, that that sensitivity is tuned right into and used in manipulative ways.
0: Mm. So in terms of what you do, I saw something really powerful on your Instagram. I feel like I'm sounding like a stalker on your Instagram page here, but (laughs) (laughs) it is a great resource um, of information. You were holding a workshop and it was like the power of a scream. I'll I'll say that, you know, and that is a big thing to do when you're amongst either friends or strangers. It wasn't like somebody on their own. You were I mean, if you could explain a bit about, I'm sure that this is something to do with releasing very stored trauma within a workshop
1: that you were doing yeah so it's at the end of a, a conscious connected breathing routine right so it's important to say that because um there are a lot of studies that can show that although screaming or shouting or like punching a pillow these kind of things although they can feel nice in the moment in long term the impact that they have on you can actually be negative right because it's something to do with hormones i don't know the science behind it but when you do at the end of a conscious connected breathing routine so we're doing we're breathing for like 25 minutes before that happens it brings Mm. you very very much into your body right so so the breathing routine is about uh we we live up in our rational brains a lot and we try and solve and and make sense of everything in our rational brain and what that normally does is it means that our body's just trapping and storing up all of these emotions this is what I believe Um, and so when you do this breathing routine that we do it brings you right down into your body and you know a lot of the the people shake and you can see the energy moving about in their body and then when you finish with that big scream it just allows all of that energy to come out of the body and i do believe that when you've experienced any level of trauma you won't rationalize your way out of it and in fact i think with trauma you've spent your whole life using rationale to escape the trauma and to not have to process it and deal with it and that's how you keep yourself safe so, so mm-hmm. doing a breathing exercise that brings you down into your body allows you to let go of some of that, let stop it being stored up in your body and let let you get rid of it and release some of it in that way. So it's very, very powerful when you're, certainly when you're in the presence of doing it. I do them online as well, so people can experience them. And the stuff, you know, look, the experiences are huge that people have, like huge. I'm talking, People will talk about crying for the first time in 30 years. I've had people talking about it releasing something for them and changing their life completely in one session. So, yeah, yeah, it's powerful stuff. It's powerful stuff. And it's just power in the breath.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I practice yoga. (sighs) Yeah, there's a lot of releasing that goes on. Even sometimes it's like I don't even know what I'm releasing, but it's just coming out. The more I do it as well, the more... It just it's like a, and the tap's been turned on and I can't turn it off again, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to get it out of your body, and yoga is another amazing way of doing it, right? Of coming straight into your body and allowing your body to kind of do the work that it wants to do without using our rational brain to trap it and stop it doing it, you know.
0: Yeah, it's like what you said with the with the breath work. It is that you you have to let go and surrender to it because once you're sort of guided through this sequence, then it, it it's like something overtakes your body's resistance, I
1: think. Yeah, yeah. No, that that is exactly what it is. You get into your body, yeah.
0: Yeah. So it's not something that we just do. It's not a one and done, <laughs> There is it, unfortunately. Otherwise, I think everybody would do it. It's, it's ongoing work.
1: Yeah, look, I think all of this, I think it'll all be a lifetime's work, right? And I think what happens is, is that you have like your, you know, your your, your trauma as such, you have all of your stored up emotion from your life, and then you have like the day-to-day human experience, right? And I think if you look at all, uh, I've not read all spiritual teachings, of course, but most spiritual teachings that I read, or any stuff that I read. At the core of what's running through that is trying to get you to understand that life is suffering, that life is pain, that it's inevitable, right? Mm. And uh, well, I do think that we have to be really careful in the way that our, uh, our conversation has gone around mental health as a whole, that we don't start thinking that uh, we should pathologize the human, uh, the human experience, and think that we, you know, anytime we don't feel very good, then it's a problem, and we should feel better. Mm since the beginning of time, people have been talking about the, how suffering life can be and the pain that we experience in life. And my journey, certainly in more recent years, has been about making sense to that and bringing sense to that pain and, you know, uh, allowing myself to understand that that maybe it all sort of makes sense when you look at it deep enough, you know?
0: And then as a resilience coach, how does that play into what we're talking about when it comes to managing pain?
1: You know what i try to get people to understand when it comes to resilience is that you know i'll start off by saying some people get a bit uncomfortable by the word resilience right because i think people have experienced a life where they feel like i don't need resilience i don't need to keep going but that's a miscon you know it's a misunderstanding of what resilience is resilience is way more about self-understanding self-awareness knowing what's going on and knowing what i need in that moment right and so whether that means taking my foot off the gas, then maybe it does. If it means gritting my teeth for a moment to get through it and then allowing myself some space, then, then it's that. But it's about self-awareness. And it's about understanding who I am and the resources that I need to be able to be in, in the world in the way that I am.
0: I'm kind of jumping a bit, but I wanted to make sure that I asked you because I really wanna know what you think about parenting the parents. Like how common do you hear about this? And um, what do you think
1: about this? What, well, as in the child parenting the parent?
0: Yeah, well, I think, and sometimes it can just continue for the length of, however long the pet the, your parent is is on the planet. It's like they don't kind of get out of that childlike mentality.
1: Yeah, and I think this is uh, part of what a lot of people experience, right? They become emotionally responsible for their parent at a very young age, and then they take that responsibility through into their adulthood, right? I think there's something to be looked at if you've reached adulthood and you're still, mm-hmm. you know, your first thought before you make any decision is what would my mom or dad think, right? But I, mm-hmm. I don't, like, I, I think there's something wrong with that. Well, not wrong. I don't want to make anybody right and wrong, but I think there's something there to be curious about, right? And and why does that influence your decisions so much and and things like that? So, uh, look, I think a lot of people spend their adulthood being very emotionally responsible for their parents when. You know it's really time not to be but again again for those people that are experiencing i'm going to say normal relationships with their parents they might be thinking well look there's times when my mom or dad have struggled and i've gone and been there for them or they've been through stuff and i was able to be there for them and that was amazing i'm not talking about that right i'm talking mm-hmm. about a kind of like invasive kind of overwhelming sense of duty to, mm. to 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 somebody that you shouldn't be affording, right? And that is rooted in self-abandonment and it's rooted in not allowing yourself to be who you really are because mm. you've got to be a version of yourself that you think is acceptable to somebody who does nothing but treat you horribly anyway.
0: What do you think as well about when, you know, we go back to like the subtleties, like say as a kid, you've got abandonment issues like now because of being... Kind of neglected as a as a child, for example, but now you're an adult and you don't live at home anymore. Can you truly heal without bringing your pain to the attention of the parent? Because if your relationship is okay, is it worth rocking the boat? Especially if that parent is like quite volatile, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Or you know, like you use the word uh, a mirror. So it's like a reflection and, you know, sometimes people can be quick to react when they feel like they're under attack or having to defend.
1: The first question you have to ask yourself, right, is what relationship is my parent able to show up to? Right. That's the first question. What is the relationship that they're able to show up to? Right. So so are they able to be there for you emotionally? Right. And you have to be really clear with yourself. Are they able to be there for emotionally, me emotionally? Yes or no? right maybe the answer is no right are they able to be there to meet up and maybe the best that they can offer me is that they will meet me semi-regularly to talk about themselves and their world right am i willing to have a relationship with that right and i think for a lot of people the answer will be yeah right like i want to have some kind of and if that's the best they can give me then that's the best they can give me right but that's the decision that you have to make yeah what you can't do what you can't do or what's going to make your life hard is if you spend your life not only trying to keep the relationship but trying to keep it all in a way that you want to have that you can dream of that your parent is never going to be able to show up for so Mm. i do think there's a lot to be said for adjusting your expectations right Mm. how badly do i want the relationship and how much can they show up to that and if you want to build a relationship with what they can show up to right I think probably everybody has to do that with their parents right because you get to an age and you realize you know my my parents are human beings they're not godlike figures right and they're not Mm. exactly like me and they deal with things differently and so we everybody has to do a certain amount of give and take within any relationship right but when you're at the kind of back end of it being in this toxic state you have to make a decision now for a lot of people or for some people at least the reality is, is there's no way of being in a relationship because the only way that this person can show up in the relationship is to make me feel desperately unsafe. And I've tried everything in terms of adjusting myself. Yeah. Mm. But that's why the work on yourself becomes important because you, you need to understand how much of this is my responsibility and how much is their responsibility. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. It sounds like acceptance is a big one. Acceptance for what is, and then you can kind of decide how you want to move forward from that. Uh, something that you also do, and we'll talk about your course in a sec as well, is you do inner child work. And I've been suggested that for my, for myself, or oh, you should do some inner child um, sessions. And I have, you know, got various apps where I'll listen to like um, guided meditations, and it's this embracing your inner child. And I find I find it a bit awkward. Maybe that's why Mm -hmm. I need to do it, to be honest. But that thought of, like, speaking to seven-year-old Gabby, I kind of cower at the thought of it. So what work do you do with somebody's inner child? And maybe you could reassure me a bit here.
1: Can I ask you, what makes you feel awkward about it? Like, not a trick question, just curiosity.
0: It's the thought of, like... You know, in the in the guided, I can only talk through the lens of a guided meditation where it's like you're put in a relaxed state and then it's like, OK, so you're looking into the eyes of you. at, Let's just say seven. And then it's like giving yourself a hug and looking at, and, and embracing yourself. And I don't know. There's just something for me. I find a bit cringe about that. Maybe it's because I don't believe the meditation and I'm not. And I, again, this is just through an app. This is not doing it you know, in a workshop or on a one-to-one session with somebody. So maybe that's part of it as well. Or, yeah, I just feel something makes me go, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Which is which I asked you purposely because that's very common, right? And mm. so people talk about it being cringy or it just doesn't matter. I can't do that. Like, I don't feel comfortable doing it. It's just a bit weird for me. I'm not very good at, I don't know, visualising things properly. And I think often and I'm not suggesting this is the, true in your case, but often what I see with a lot of people is that cringing right what well, they're actually describing if you get curious about it is like a recoiling right yeah so it's yeah' like a, it's exactly that. I don't feel I don't feel comfortable being around that seven year old version of myself right and so oh. uh or or whatever age it is right and so there's yeah. the starting point is to actually. First, and this is the process that I often take people through, right? You do some work around working on who you are in the world today, right? Because it's not just uh yourself that would be recoiling, right? But often for people, their inner child is giving off an energy. I don't want to come near you, I don't feel safe either, right? So there's a part of you like that. Yeah. So you do the work on yourself so that you can confidently look yourself and all of the parts of yourself in the eyes and and say i've dealt with all of the things the mistakes that i made you know my difficult relationships that i've had through my life and all that kind of stuff so that when you do go to then try and meet with and have this interaction with your inner child what i find is with the work that we do you get to the stage where there's much less cringe and much less recoiling um, and actually you're able to really go and get them and sort of integrate with them right like i really believe that what happens is is that you you have like your kind of wounded parts of yourself particularly those young parts. And then throughout our life, as we start to develop our rational brain from a certain age, we create these versions of ourselves that ultimately are there to try and protect us. The high achievers, one of them that you talked about earlier. And we all have our different, the judgmental part that tells you not to do stuff. And they're all trying to keep you safe. And so mm-hmm. once you do some of the work around those things so that you can feel more integrated with them, you can almost go back and reparent that child that you were when you were younger because again like just I, i'm sort of using your example here which is perhaps a little bit unfair but i don't mind if you thought of any other seven-year-old on the planet right and said visualize them right mm-hmm. and visualize yourself looking in the eye and cuddling them
0: yeah right, yeah my nephew's seven you
1: probably wouldn't wouldn't dream of something. no i'd yeah i'd
0: be like come here
1: <laughs> yeah and you wouldn't yeah. imagine right you wouldn't dream of certainly publicly talking about recoiling and cringing at the thought of cuddling them. Right.
0: No, no. Oh God, that's That's, deep Josh. But yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so the fact that we do that about ourselves and this, like the young child, which, which by the way is the common experience of anybody that's never really looked at it. Right. Like we wouldn't dream of saying that about any other child. (laughs) Yeah. But we say it with ease about ourselves. Like, like it's, Normal. And of course, it is normal because yeah. for most of us, that's how we've lived all of our life. Yeah, that, that kind of relationship with them.
0: Again, it's like talking to Buddha. <laughs> 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 I did notice this morning you did a 30 minute emotional centering practice, and I thought this is something I need in my life. How does that work, and how can we join in with future ones?
1: So I've got like a online community space now, basically, which uh, I just deliver regular live breathwork sessions with the screams and like little morning centering exercises and stuff like that. And to be honest with you, they're all uh, aimed towards bringing us back into our body. Right? And Mm. I think a lot of us live desperately trying to be out of our body whether it's up in this rational part of our brain or whether it's like I don't know in our phones or being busy with work and that's my go-to I always say up in the rational part of our brain because that's where and we did the centering exercise this morning and I do it along with everybody and when I said where do you feel liked where do you feel good and we were in like a breathing exercise my, I could only go to my head this front part of my head here so what that tells me is that my body in that moment was too scary and I didn't want to be there. So I was living up here. And so when you do these kind of centering exercises with curiosity, it's not about judgment, it's about just finding things out. What you've, what a lot of people find is that internally, they're all very restricted and very knotted up inside so that externally we can be the version of ourselves that we've created, that we share with the world. I think we all, most of us to a bigger, to a big degree, self-manage so what's going on in here is completely disconnected from what we show to the world because we've Mm -hmm. become a very good at self-managing and here's the version of myself that i portray to the world that keeps that internal world safe but that internal world's all constricted and needs space to come out free from judgment um, and in a way that feels comfortable
0: Mm, Do you know, you're just making me think of an incredible session I did with, he's called Beyond Bodywork. So it's like a But it's not a massage. It's kind of like it was sort of a, it was an hour session, but I'd say 40 minutes of it was getting to the root of like emotional problems. And I bring this up because I didn't know that the left side of your body is the mother and the right side of your body is the father. So he was able to, no joke, Touched me at certain parts of my body and was like, this is whatever issue with mum. This is because of, you know, lack of affection from dad. And he was dead on. And it was absolutely crazy. And then when he knew where the points were, he could release this trauma. And I swear it was like having an exorcism because it was just like, it was the most crazy thing. But yeah, the left side of your body is all mother. The right is father. So when we're, when we're looking at parents, I thought that was so fascinating in terms of like how the body is that clever that it will like store that bit of trauma in the side of the body where it came from. Wow.
1: Yeah? I've never heard the right and the left side, but it makes sense. Right. And, and, and the bodywork, yeah. particularly the bodywork, I think it's the most underrated, missed out part of this conversation. Because we trap it all down there, and then as well, think of all the things that happened before we had the rational part of our brain, right? For the first few years, where we could, we literally couldn't rationalize them. So uh, the mm. only way we made sense of them was like bodily emotions. Yeah. So, so of course, mm. our bodies, our body would have had to have stored all of that because the rational brain wasn't there to even make sense of it.
0: Mm. Something you say on your website is it's fighting against what we feel that causes us problems. So it's like what you said, we're kind of locking it away, but our body is like keeping hold of it and then that's how all these you know physical mental emotional issues manifest so as we last question wrap up this conversation Josh I ask every guest to set us some homework based on the theme of the episode so in this case what is a simple actionable step we can take when navigating moving on and recovering from if we open it up to say a challenging upbringing that has left scars that will help us on our quest to building a happier life?
1: It might sound like a bit of a wishy-washy answer, right? But we have to put ourselves at the center of our universe first, right? That's where we have to start. Because if you've lived a life where everybody else comes first at the expense of yourself, you have to put yourself back in the middle of of your life, right? And allow yourself to build from there and really get to what do I need, right? what works for me who am mm. i those kind of things all about yourself um, and then eventually you can evolve and grow as a person that can allow people back into that space but in a way that is not at the expense of yourself but it's more about bringing people into who you really are so it feels Gosh. wishy-washy but i hope it makes sense that's
0: not wishy-washy at all josh that was awesome <laughs>
1: okay good <laughs>
0: thank you so much so for more on you Your website is joshconnolly.co.uk, and then you've got this course starting in January, right? Do you want to give us a quick lowdown on what that is? Yeah.
1: So InnerU is, we're on the fifth cohort now, I think. Um, It's a six-week program. I get people to do exercises that are all pre-recorded and then we come together once a week for six weeks to do some breathing exercises that bring you into your body and visualizations that really help wrap up the work. And the process is to work on yourself for the first four weeks, um, to understand all of your parts of yourself, to understand the mistakes you've made in the relationships that you've had in your life, um, so that you can then go and get your inner child and become their champion. And that's the process in Mm. a nutshell.
0: Nice. To follow you on Instagram, it's at Josh underscore FFW. That's it, yeah. Is it the same on TikTok as well?
1: Yep, same on TikTok and everywhere else, yeah
0: you're very active on youtube too and then your podcast is 115 miles which is about life work culture and the reality of living in today's complex world
1: yes that's a podcast that i do with my friend that is uh, very much looking at the societal impacts um on on us as people and, and what that means
0: thank you again josh
1: thank you you're a legend thank you i've enjoyed it thank you
0: No, oh, he really is a legend. Thanks again to Josh Connolly and thank you to you for making it through to the end of this episode of The Happier Life Project with me, Gabby Sanderson. And as always when I sign off, now for the important housekeeping. If you are suffering with your mental health, there is a crisis button on the My Possible Self app which will signpost you to the correct information for immediate expert advice those of you who are listening on one of the podcast platforms the my possible self app is completely free to download so you don't need to worry about it costing you anything make sure you subscribe and leave a review if you found this episode helpful and to find and follow us on social media we are at my possible self and i've been at radio gabby so until the next one do take care and bye for now